1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Ben Siegel.
2: It's good to be with you, John.
1: Ben is uh, an experienced podcaster, but it's the first time he's been on uh, Troy Noons an Absolute Podcast. Um, Dan had a conflict this week, and obviously, in those rare occasions where Dan can't join us, we do have um, tons of expert guests that we can add at any time. Um, on the blog. Uh, ben, appreciate you joining. Uh, before we jump in, just wanted to give a shout out to our sponsors, Sports Passport. Um, Sports Passport, as we mentioned uh, for the last few weeks, um, is a site that allows you to keep track of any game you've been to. Uh, you get to capture those experiences, take pictures, um, and also get records for you know how your favorite teams have done, how your favorite teams have done at home, how some of your favorite players are performed in games you've attended, uh, things like that. It's a really cool service, uh, it's super easy to sign up for, you can even just use Facebook or Twitter uh, to log in and start uh, logging games. I know for me, and someone who uh, loves to keep track of stuff like that, it's a great resource and one that uh, I can also use on mobile. Uh, they recently launched their mobile app, um, it's got a great interface, works really quickly, uh, definitely a fan, so would highly recommend uh, for those who have not downloaded it yet. But then, getting into the basketball team, I guess first and foremost, how do you feel about the ACC tournament coming up? Obviously, uh, things things have not exactly panned out the way we thought. No.
2: Right. That's the the worrisome. The thing is, is, uh, is the game on Saturday all much now? Um, because if you win it, you get the first round by, and if you lose, you're going to have to play on that Tuesday. Um, but the other thing is, if you win and you're in the that eight nine game, you're probably going to have to play North Carolina on Thursday. Um, so it's it's a lot of what ifs and it's a lot of trying to match up things and and it's hard to figure out really who you're going to play right now. There's a three way tie now for sixth place, which is going to affect Syracuse place. But really, all of a sudden, that game on on Saturday comes comes down to be huge and. Obviously, Wake Forest last night, being Louisville, throws a wrench in things. Wake Forest is trying to make a push now for the tournament, and um, just a lot of things feels like they're going Syracuse's way with a weak bubble. But all of a sudden, at the same time, teams that you 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 would assume would win, like Louisville last night at Wake Forest, they lose. Um, Vanderbilt, obviously, Kentucky helped uh, Syracuse out the other night with a nineteen point comeback, but. Going into the ACC tournament, I mean, if you win on Saturday, you're playing that you're in that eight nine game and then you're gonna have to play North Carolina. If you lose, you're probably playing Boston College, um, which is kinda nice, but and then you're gonna come back with you know, it's like a Miami or a Virginia Tech kind of team. And and maybe those are two wins a carrier dome that you need for your resume, but it's it's gonna be hard, so Right now, I'm, I'm kind of in flux. I don't really know what to think uh, other than Saturday's game is really important.
1: Yeah, I mean, you bring up some interesting points. I know um, we floated the idea, I think, on Slack, and a couple people did in the comments of, like, does it pay more to lose? And obviously, it never pays more to lose. Um, but at the same time, you know, the, the road you're painting um, with a loss facing Boston College and then maybe a Miami or Virginia Tech. Miami, we could get, you know potentially two wins against, uh, which I think would be huge on the resume. Um, Virginia Tech, we'd be able to even out, um, you know, the, the loss that we had to them earlier. And then, I mean, this isn't to say that the team is going to go on an ACC tournament and run and win the whole thing, but it's obviously a lot more manageable uh, going that route than going the route of, you know, an 8-9 game against potentially Virginia, um, who even if we manage to beat them, I think, well, A, I think if we manage to beat them, we're in. Um, and B. Then if we if we happen to pull that off, we're you know we're facing a North Carolina team that we don't match up well with. Very few teams do. Um, we're probably going to lose. The the plus there, I guess, though, is that North Carolina uh, another loss. To North Carolina doesn't necessarily hurt as much because it still still helps out the strength of the schedule and and as a result the RPI, which Syracuse is kind of lagging in.
2: Right, and, and so that's the thing, and, and I was thinking about that the other day. Does it, does it help to lose? And, and there's going to be some people that look at it from uh, you know uh, uh, a logical way and say, well, maybe. But then there's always going to be those few people that are be like, no, what the hell? You know, losing will never be better. And, and so people are always going to be divided on that. Um, but if you, it, it, it's interesting because if you win on Saturday and then all of a sudden maybe you have to play a Virginia and then you lose, you get one win out of it. If you lose on Saturday, you play at Boston College, you get a win there, and then you come back with maybe a Miami or a Wake Forest, somebody like that, and you can get two wins. Do you trade that for the the loss on Saturday for hopefully two wins, or do you try to win and then you just roll the dice with Virginia or whoever you get? It, it's it's interesting, and it, it's, it's really hard to say, obviously, um, my What I would do in, in in a perfect world is I think you try to win Saturday, obviously, and then you're at 18 wins. You've got three top 10 wins, and then you just kind of roll the dice from there on out and, and hope you can get a good matchup on that Wednesday. You get the first round by, and, and then if you can win Wednesday, I think you're in. And then playing North Carolina, you probably lose by 10, but it feels like everybody's getting beat by North Carolina anyway. And like you said, it helps the RPI. It helps the strength of schedule. Um, And at that point, you're probably in anyways. So I I don't know what the great route is, but I think you need to get to that 18-19 win mark, and obviously a win on Saturday puts you in that position.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I I think that, you know, at the end of the day, Jim Beheim's coaching to win. I think this team's playing to win. I don't necessarily think that a loss to, especially Georgia Tech, uh, really helps you out, especially as the Yellow Jackets continue to, to battle their own way on the bubble um, it's probably best to to win that game. And then, yeah, I mean, we saw what happened last year. Um, when you got to the Sweet 16, uh, the other three teams in our region, um, you know, Iowa State, Virginia, and Gonzaga, Iowa State was far and away the team we would want to play the most, and we didn't get to play them. We played the other two teams that we were not favored against in any way. Um, we beat them both. So I, I think... You know it's not necessarily endorsing trial by fire, but it is endorsing you know just win the games and then everything that's supposed to happen happens. um trying to play the game of like, well, if we lose, we can do this, this, and this um, seems silly i mean i I would love I would love to not have to face Virginia because obviously facing Virginia could mean not completely nullifying our win over them, but at least partially nullifying our win over them from earlier in the year right um, but nonetheless I, I think that you know. Even a loss to them doesn't really do anything to hurt the resume.
2: Yeah, and, and at, at worst, it cancels it out. But the Virginia, uh, right now, even the Virginia, the win over them, it doesn't even look as good as it did at one point. Now they're only 10-7 and seven in the ACC. Um, it's still a good win, in my opinion, and, and the Syracuse haters will say that it's not. Um, but they just beat UNC the other day. They really played exceptionally well, especially on the defensive end, held them to in the 40s. So you know what Virginia is capable of. Um, but from Syracuse's standpoint, like you said, it's it's hard to figure out, you know, because last year going into the NCAA tournament, there were games at Syracuse you didn't want to play. You didn't want to play Michigan State. I mean, once you got hot Gonzaga and Virginia, it was matchups that you didn't hate but you didn't necessarily love. But those are the matchups you're going to get in the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. Um, so I think it's more of just you have to take care of business on Saturday And and everything if it's meant to be everything will fall into place and and it it did last year and I don't think there's any reason to believe that it won't this year Um, I think this team's very capable of making a run. It's just it's hard in the ACC tournament because there's so many teams Um, and and if you you know, if, if you fall into the wrong seating all of a sudden you have to play in North Carolina Or Louisville or Notre Dame and and those matchups aren't very fun
1: No, no, not at all. And I know Dan and I kind of talked about this for a week since the season started on the podcast. Just you know, one through fourteen, there's no league as tough as the ACC, and that you know that's a double-edged sword. It helps in terms of strength of schedule, um, but that and it also helps you become tournament tested. But you know, then it creates situations where you know, like, what's the reward for finishing eighth in the conference necessarily? um, If all you have to do is face you know Virginia, who is I'd say still a top 25 caliber team, um, and then even if you get past them, now you have to face North Carolina, or in general, you're, you're battling it out with half your conference on the bubble. Um, but this is what we signed up for. I'm not complaining about it at all. I think that you know, th- this is what makes uh, you know, the entire tournament selection process fun. I wish, obviously, that we were, uh, that we were clear of the bubble uh by a significant amount but that's what happens when you uh when you don't really show up in the non-conference you really have to um you know put on a pretty impressive performance once you get into the uh, acc schedule
2: right and and that's that's the you know you take the good with the bad it's kind of like the old big east um when you were at syracuse john i mean you can attest to this where it's Every night, I mean, you can't take a night off. But people would complain about how Syracuse should have a weak non-conference. But you made up for it in the in the Big East conference. It's kind of like this year. Syracuse didn't play very well in the non-conference, obviously, but they made up for it in the ACC with how strong this league is and, and the, the the wins that they have. So it, it's kind of take the good with the bad. Obviously, you'd like a better non-conference uh, result schedule, um, but you didn't get it, and, and you have to move on from it. And they've. Syracuse has helped, the, you know, it's cause with the three top 10 wins, and not many bubble teams can say that. I don't think any can. I think Kansas State is the only team that has two, and then no other team has more than one. So, Syracuse, in my opinion, still in good position, but you're really probably going to have to win one more, whether that's Saturday or in the ACC tournament or wherever. 18 gets you probably at 19, I think you're definitely in.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, so I guess that's a good segue kind of into a uh, bubble conversation. I know earlier today I just kind of put up a, an article about things that happened last night. Quite a few things happened on the bubble last night, as, uh, as most Syracuse fans are probably uh, very aware of at this point. Um, so just running down the results, uh, we're just going to go team by team. Uh, Northwestern uh, completed a Hail Mary uh, pass to get a game-winning layup. At the buzzer over Michigan. Um, I think Northwestern's in with that. Um, I think that they weren't, they were on the top end of the bubble, admittedly, and they'd really have to kind of lose out to begin any real peril, in in my opinion, but that wasn't out of the question given how they've been playing lately. Um, Dan, do you think that, I mean, sorry, Ben. I'm so used (laughs) to talking to Dan. Uh, Ben, do you think that um, Northwestern uh, kind of sealed the deal? with that win over Michigan last night?
2: Yeah, yeah, the, the, that game was intriguing for me. I, I was looking at it, and it's kind of like, from a Syracuse standpoint, who do you root for? And I thought that going into that game, no matter what happened, either team was probably going to be in. Um, but if Michigan won, it would make things more interesting. But I still thought Northwestern would be in. But with Northwestern winning, I think they're definitely in now. Um, Bracket Matrix, who actually Chris Carlson turned me onto this website, and it's really great. It's it's all the averages of everything, of all the, the sites out there uh, for the the seeding and stuff. And they've got Northwestern averaging right around a 10 seed. So I, I think they're they're pretty much safely in. Michigan's right around an 8. So uh, they're safely in right now. And for the record, Syracuse is an 11. They have Syracuse in. So I think Northwestern really sealed the deal last night. That was an incredible play at the end. But um, to get in, yeah, I think they're in.
1: Yeah, I agree with that, and I also use bracket matrix quite a bit. I know uh, for our weekly and sometimes more than weekly bubble updates, I've been using that kind of to help inform at least the. I don't think. Well, I wouldn't use it necessarily to say who's in and who's out. I think it's a good way to frame the conversation, right, around who's in and out. Just because you know they are taking averages, but at the same time, you know a lot of those publications only update every week. Don't update after every game. Um, some definite caveats uh, to add in there, but alas, um, looking at more teams, you know, USC one last night. I USC is an interesting case. Um, I know that others have brought this up. You know, Eamon Brennan brought this up uh, last week, I think, on ESPN was talking about like you know USC and a lot of the other Pac-12 teams have found ways to gain the RPI pretty well um, of late and basically inflates resumes that may not necessarily hold much weight to them. I mean, USC has that really nice win over UCLA. Uh, no one's going to look past that. But um, overall, they really haven't beaten anyone else of note um, this season. Still, 22 wins um, and at least a 500 record in the Pac-12. To me, that probably means you're in no matter what. Um, but yeah, stopping the free fall last night with a, uh, with a 20-point win over Washington State. Um, is certainly um, something that I think. If they weren't, if their fate wasn't sealed already, it is now that they're. It would take a lot to knock USC off the bubble at this point.
2: Yeah, I, I think so too. It's so interesting because they started what fourteen and zero, and all of a sudden they've kind of started to slide. Um, and the Pac-12 not necessarily that difficult. I mean, you've got some some top heavy teams, obviously with Oregon, Arizona, and UCLA, and and Cal's on the bubble, but probably in, and then Utah is another case where they're probably on the bubble, but probably not in, I don't think. And then USC is sitting there with still an impressive couple wins over, like you said last night, a 20-point win over Washington State. It's not like Washington State is great, but still you have to take care of business. And then you also have, uh, they, they beat UCLA earlier this season, so they've got some good wins, and, and it, it's hard to imagine a team starting 14-0 and 0 in, a, in a Power 5 and not getting in. And I, I think USC... Although in the beginning of the year, some people thought they would probably be more like a 4 or 5 seed. I think now on bracket matrix, they're a 10. I think that's pretty accurate. You, you put them in that game and, and, and kind of see what happens. But uh, just interesting how your season can just turn so quickly, though. 14-0. and It's kind of like uh, a little bit like Syracuse when they started 25-0. and But it, did that, it felt like one of the weakest 25-0 and teams in history because they squeaked out so many games. And then when you got to the tournament, you weren't really that confident. And then you had to play Dayton, and then I'd obviously you end up losing in Buffalo. But that, it, I don't know. I, I would still take Syracuse's team over the USC team. But it's kind of crazy how fast your season can turn, though.
1: Yeah, I, I would completely agree. And I think you're seeing that with a lot of these bubble teams. I mean, we're not the only ones that struggled in non-conference play, and then turned it on in conference. Uh, some of the some other teams have done the other, where they they started strong. I mean, we'll get to kind of TCU um, in a bit. I know uh, Kansas State is coming up, same deal. uh, Kind of, you know, did really well in non conference play and then it it sputtered in conference. Um, Another interesting team, and I think this team, this win might have been more kind of damaging for Syracuse than I think folks were like registering last night. Um, Marquette beating Xavier on the road um, by 11 marquette already owns wins against creighton and against uh villanova obviously the villanova pelt is not one that uh that many teams have it's just them and butler um i think marquette's in now uh that that hurts and again doesn't really help syracuse but you know marquette has built themselves a little bit of a resume um against the quality teams of the big east and that should be enough to get them in
2: I think so too, and it, it, it's so difficult. Obviously, Chris Carlson second shout out this podcast. Um, he sh- he does, and and you do as well. You if you just follow along on Twitter, just Chris kind of like started the whole thing with like the bubble talk and and how he updates it every day and and stuff like that, and how, like what games you should root for, who you should root for, and obviously you do a great job too, John, on the site. It's just it's so crazy to see like how one game that you would feel like has no meaning on Syracuse, like an Xavier Marquette game. All of a sudden you're sitting there like, damn, like, I wish it went the other way. It's it's just, I I feel like the, the bubble talk around this time is just so crazy.
1: Well, it's just, it's a large bubble. I think like people are, and Dan and I talked about this last week too, is that, you know, people are misconstruing like large and confusing bubble and weird bubble for a week. Um, there's a lot of teams that are capable of, of taking down some top squads here. I mean, like you said earlier, like a lot of these teams have, have, have resumes that include a, a big win. Um, so they're all capable of, of those victories. I think it's just a lot of these teams, including SU, are enigmas. Um, so it, it's going to be hard to peg. I think the tournament committee really kind of has the work cut out for them uh, this year just because so many of these teams are so hard to peg. And so difficult to get a, a read on about, you know, whether or not they're deserving because, you know, either they're, they played two different seasons basically or or they've either, you know, played really poorly at the beginning and then have gotten hot late or they've gotten – or they've fallen down late. Um, I mean, Kansas State, the next team I was going to talk about, is another one. Like, the team has fallen down late. Um, they played really well against top teams. Um, but, again, 7-10 and 10 in conference. um only beat TCU by one, but a win's a win, especially against the fellow bubble team. But 18 and 12, 7 and 10 in conference, like Kansas State doesn't really have the, the, the resume of wins outside of uh, the wins over Baylor and West Virginia.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at their schedule right now. I mean, non conference, they didn't they didn't play anybody and they didn't beat anybody. And then they come into conference to lose to Kansas, which is understood. You lose to Baylor, but they got it back later. They beat West Virginia, which I think it's an impressive win. But uh, if you want to compare it to Syracuse, Syracuse has those wins as well. And, but the interesting thing, and and I kind of hope it comes down to this. So you also look at Kansas non-conference. They didn't really beat anybody, but they didn't really lose to anybody either. They lost to Maryland and that's not a bad loss at all. Maryland, obviously a top 25 team. Um, but what I hope it comes down to is people say, okay, well, the ACC is still a lot better than the Big 12, and hopefully the, the strength of the league can push you in. Even though Syracuse is you know, looking at 9-10 wins in the conference, you hope that that can kind of push them in, just base, kind of base it off other team success this year and how good uh, the league is. And for Marquette, what you were saying earlier, their schedule up now wins over Creighton and, and Villanova, like you said, both top ten teams. Villanova was number one in the country at the time, so last night's that's a big win for them. Now they're eighteen and eleven, and they're really starting to make a push. They may they're probably even in, but I don't know how you can compare that to Syracuse right now, just because, um, like I said, the Big East versus now the ACC. If they're so close, do you look at that and say, well, the ACC is still a better conference? I don't know. It it's hard to see what the theme is gonna be this year for the committee.
1: Right. No, I, I completely agree there. Um I, I think that this committee, you know, you, you can try to, to, to glean what you can out of the uh the early selection process that they did, but at the end of the day, um it was just sixteen teams. You can say they discounted losses more than they more than they like gave you credit for. Oh well, good sorry i say, you could say they discounted losses more than gave credit for big wins, but at the same time, um, it was only 16 teams again, so it, it's, it's, none of them had many losses to begin with, so it's, it's really hard to kind of judge, um, I think that obviously they pay a lot of respect to the ACC in, in, in that initial bracket, I think they will at the end of the season too, I think we're looking at, you know, eight or nine teams probably, maybe more, um, the ACC stands a good shot, but but you know, these teams need to be able to to do themselves some favors. Um, And that's kind of, you know, been the big struggle with with teams like Syracuse and Wake Forest and Georgia Tech um, and and even Clemson further down the ladder is just doing themselves enough favors to to stay in the conversation and then, like, letting the ACC affiliation carry them over the top. And, And that's kind of the key differentiator here for these ACC teams is that, like, being in the ACC doesn't earn you the spot. Is that you have to put a resume? You have to put up a resume that is indicative of a tournament team, and then if it's between you and another team with a similar resume, then the ACC portion of it is the difference.
2: Yeah, I agree with that 100. percent Let me ask you this, John: Do you think last year's success in the NCAA tournament kind of very similar though, like on the bubble? Uh, getting in and then making that run, do you think that factors in at all this year? Can can the committee look back and say, well, you know, Syracuse was on the bubble last year, and look what they did. You know, they're always capable of making a run. Do you think that factors in at all the following year, and do you think it should?
1: Um, I don't think it should. I think it might, uh, subconsciously, because, you know, th- these, are not, these are not blind comparisons. These are not, you know, like when they first start looking through these things, like a lot of them are blind, and you start looking at resumes, but you know. you you know the conference affiliation you know about what these profiles look like if you're on the tournament committee you're you're well aware of what these 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 team profiles look like um i think it's i think it gets dangerous to to apply previous years and and history to um to each succeeding years um you know bubble teams i I don't think that that's really a great um way to go but at the same time like it's not as if we haven't seen it repeatedly um, especially for you know mid majors, um, actually should be an article going up today over on the comeback um, that I put together, uh, talking about how you know the the diminishing mid major bubble over the course of the last ten fifteen years, and how you know increasingly there's there's very few mid majors, um, you know, getting those those last few at large bids, and on top of that, the ones that are are always the same teams. It's it's your it's your Gonzagas, your St. Mary's, your Wichita States, BYU to a to an extent, VCU, it, it's all in Wichita. Like again, it, it's all those same teams um, repeatedly, and and a lot of it. I mean, a lot of it is because they they've been smart and compiled the resume to get there. But the other reason is just because name recognition. I mean, NCAA's business, CBS and Turner are businesses, like the way they're all looking at it, as, is like, okay, who am I going to invite? to this tournament, like, am I going to invite Monmouth? I mean, look at last year, am I going to invite Monmouth? Or or St. Mary's, or am I going to invite, you know, your Syracuses of the world? Right. Um, and from a business standpoint, like, you can't blame them, but, but it's also, it starts to call into question the integrity of, like, okay, is this tournament actually based on the best teams, or is it based on the teams that people are going to watch the most?
2: Right. I, I couldn't agree more with that. And, and from a Syracuse perspective, you love that. Because you are that brand name, and, and not to say, <laughs> not to be, you know, Dr. Gross with brand, but you are that brand name, and, and you know, that, that, that goes a long way. And whether you want to admit that to the St. Bonaventures of the Worlds or the Monmouths or whoever, it, Syracuse is going to drive ratings, they're going to drive ticket sales, and, and it's going to make businesses more money. It's going to make Turner more money. It's going to make CBS more money than a Monmouth. And, and that rare case where maybe a Monmouth makes a run. Syracuse is more of a sure thing to kind of bring the money in and uh, Another thing from last year that I was brought to my attention yesterday on Twitter um, SMU and Louisville last year obviously were banned from the postseason and then they also the four and five record from from Mike Hopkins in the Middle of the season that the NCAA didn't really look at or they or they took into consideration I I think that that kind of goes underrated right now in being on the bubble for the second straight year because all of a sudden now you don't have that nine game stretch where you lost five in the middle of the season that they don't really look at. There's two more teams that were gonna be in last year that weren't in and now they're obviously going to be in this year. I think that kinda that's going under the radar a little bit, I think, from from the bubble standpoint.
1: From the bubble standpoint, I think it's not just Syracuse fans discounting that. I think it's it's a lot of the national media Discounting it, and I mean technically the the tournament committee said that afterward that it really didn't factor in, but i i I find that hard to believe, and I also think like in general, a, a lot of the folks involved with college sports you know are not really going to be hundred percent honest just because the more the more they share on this process, the more questions they have to answer um, and, and that's obviously not what they want um, i I think it's a great point to bring up though that you know. On top of the, the lack of, you know, real, you know, road neutral winds to, to lean on like we had last year, um, there's also the fact that, yeah that that Hopkins stretches in here to bail us out. Um, so for me, I mean, that definitely creates an additional worry um, and one that, that, that folks should, should keep in the back of their minds so that if the worst case happens... Uh, that th- there's at least something to point to right away versus you know grasping at straws as to why. Like, I feel like this year, this year that there shouldn't be any question of why. Um, I felt the same way back in 08. Th- th- there was no question as to why. I mean, we were an injury-riddled team that was playing six deep all year um, mm-hmm. and very young. And in 07, I felt like we had the wins. I think a lot of people felt like we had the wins. But... Again, you, you look at the overall schedule. Like they didn't really pick up those quality wins until closer to the end of the year. Their, you know, Big East play that year was middling at best. Like, I mean, yes, they they did win ten games in the Big East, and that's something that back then, and I think still now, to be honest, is is worth something. But I, I think this year, if we don't make it, there, there's there's not going to be any questions as to why. It's going to be a very clear, you know, neon sign as to why it didn't happen.
2: Yeah, and and that, I don't know if you like that more, if you'd rather have a kind of feel like the, oh, we got screwed mentality. But, I mean, this year you know that they don't have any non-conference wins. They they struggle the non-conference. You lost to St. John's by 33. You lost to Georgetown. You lost to UConn. You lost to Boston College. I mean, right now, if you can go back to that Boston College game and you win that opener in the ACC, all of a sudden you have 18 wins you're guaranteed to finish above 500 in the conference you already have you know those 10 wins and you have a chance to get to 11 and that changes the seating you may be playing for a two round bye rather than just the just the one bye. so there's there's so many things and, and at the time you don't think about that because when they lost to boston college honestly a lot of us are thinking well it's just it's it's not our year we're probably not making the tournament yada, yada all that stuff i was one of them and, and now you look back and say well man if 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 Syracuse won that game, you know, they're probably in right now looking to, to really cement it on, on Saturday with a win over Georgia Tech.
1: Counterpoint, and I do agree with you. Um, you could also look at any of the other games. I mean, take any of the last-second shots. And, and, right, yeah, good point, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Syracuse is also looking at, you know, potentially not even being in the bubble conversation.
2: Right, yeah, and if if John Gillen doesn't go for 43 points at NC State, and yeah, they're... So, I I guess it all kind of evens out, which is crazy to think about, because it it always feels like you kind of get screwed in in some sense, but I guess it does even out, because Gillen goes for 43, or Tyus Battle shot at Clemson, or, you know, the shot that Gillen made against NC State to send it to overtime, and then obviously the Duke Duke winner uh, from Gillen banking in the three, so I I guess it does even out, but... um, there, there, there's always going to be games that you look back on that you say, oh, we should have won. It's kind of like when you don't expect it, and then all of a sudden you're in a situation you can look back and say, well, man, if we won that game, we'd be fine. And, and at the time, nobody expected that to really mean that much, but now all of a sudden it does. Oh, completely. Um,
1: I know a couple other games that I wanted to focus on here just in terms of bubble talk. Um, one that we should be very familiar with at this point Um, Wake Forest upsetting Louisville Um, obviously Syracuse owns a victory over Wake and while I don't necessarily think that that's a trump card I think it's a helpful one when Wake has a similar resume to us but that said Wake was able to beat Louisville a team that Syracuse lost to twice including one in resounding fashion Um, Then I think Wake is still out but not nearly by as much as they were before
2: yeah, I, I agree with you there. I, I, I do think they're out still, um, but that win against Louisville, that could go a long way. Louisville was kind of pushing for a one seed. If they kind of won out and, and they finish with 25 regular season wins, if they won last night, and that obviously they're you know the last game of the year, and then you can make a run in the ECC tournament, they're obviously very capable of it. Um, but with that Wake Forest knocking them off, I th- it, it it doesn't put him in, but it goes a long way. I still think when you, you're going to look up the head-to-head and see that Syracuse beat Wake, and that's going to go a long way. Uh, you would hope, um, but it it's one of those games where you just this is the ACC. You just you never know what's going to happen. And I remember looking at it yesterday, and the line was three and a half, and I was like, man, I would take Louisville all day. I thought it, it was a no-brainer, and then they end up losing by seven. So it's just. It's crazy. It's just the ACC is nuts. You never know what to expect, and Wake Forest obviously making a push now, but I still think they're out. I agree with you, and, and hopefully Syracuse would just have the advantage anyway just from a standpoint of the head-to-head matchup.
1: Agreed. Uh, I know the next couple teams I have in here, I think they're, I think the next four that I, I indicated on today's blog post are trending up. I think they're all still out, but um, I think they help themselves out a bit. Um, Illinois beating MSU is not gonna it's not gonna hurt because I think MSU is trending toward the bubble Um, and and if you were gonna compare them kind of come Selection Sunday it definitely helps out the Illini but I don't think that's the win that gets you over the hump Um, Rhode Island you did exactly what you're supposed to do against a bad St. Joseph's team Um, Georgia again another team that beat who they were supposed to but Georgia's another team that, like, we'll see, and I think Clemson's the same way. Like, are you going to grade them on potential or, or the, the quality of their resume? Um, Georgia has at least more wins. You know, Georgia has 18 now. Clemson has just 15. Um, Clemson's also 5-12 and 12 in conference, which to me automatically means you're out. Um, we'll see what the committee thinks of that. Um, Georgia, on the other hand, 18-12, and 9-8. Uh, they have a couple close calls with uh, very good teams, but otherwise they've just beaten who they're supposed to. Um, They'll wrap up their season at Arkansas this weekend, and I think beating Arkansas could vault Georgia um, much higher into the conversation, if not in, uh, which, again, another concerning development for Syracuse. Yeah,
2: that's the one thing that I wish you could know now is what's the theme for the NCAA and the committee and everything, because last year it was... You know, kind of who you beat, non-conference, and, and your overall. And Syracuse had those non-conference wins, and that's eventually what really pushed them in. The committee said, um, and obviously the nine-game stretch without Beheim helped Syracuse in the end. Um, but this year, what's the theme going to be? And that's the most important thing. Are, like you said, are they going to base it off potential and what Clemson can do, um, or is it going to be, you know, your resume now and how many wins you have now? I think that's that's something where you just
1: you you really
2: just close your eyes and hope for the best because there's 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 no telling what they're going to really focus on this year and whether that helps or hurts Syracuse I don't know if if they're going to say what are your best wins Syracuse three top 10 wins perfect if they're going to say who'd you beat non-conference like last year Syracuse you're going to sweat it out a little bit more and but no matter what they do I think Syracuse still stands in in a good position moving forward but the bubble is interesting but like you said it's 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 a weird bubble but it's also weak and and I'm excited to read the piece that you have coming out later today about how um, all the mid-majors now kind of, you know, it's the same ones every year, and it does feel like it is. So um, just moving forward, it's 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 so hard to know. You know, bubble time every year, it's, it feels like it's so difficult to predict, and this year's is, is obviously no different. 100%.
1: Um, why don't we do a little halftime here before uh, before we get to the end of the bubble conversation? Um just another quick shout-out to our sponsor, Sports Passport. Um, whenever you want to check into all your favorite games at your favorite stadiums, there's now an app for that. Uh, the Passport theme carries over uh, to your profile, too, so that not only are you checking into games, but you can get stamps for uh, certain accomplishments, um, You know, whether that's going to playoff games or seeing every major league baseball team or seeing conference tournament game, seeing a Final Four, things like that. Um, so, yeah, once again sportspassport.com you can also find it on the App Store uh, just search sports passport uh, it's a really cool service again highly recommend it and uh, yeah Ben I, I I can hear you searching it already
2: I am I am I was I, the, the first time you mentioned it to me a couple weeks ago I, l- I looked it up and it actually did seem really intriguing um, I have not signed up for it yet but I probably will after this honestly why not you know what do you have to lose exactly. That's what I say to the people out there that are like, oh, I'm not going <laughs> to sign up for it. Or they fast forward through the read. It's like, what do you have to lose signing up? Come on.
1: <laughs> and uh, Ben, as you probably know by now, we uh, we usually talk a little bit of beer here. But have you drank anything interesting lately?
2: Um, of late, I haven't. Normally, you guys are pretty like deep into it. I'm not. Um, I'm more of like a Heineken yingling guy. And okay. I don't know where that's. Yeah, so I mean that—that's normally what I, what I drink. Um, anything different? Not really. I've had a couple amber ales lately, and they've been pretty good. But I couldn't tell you the name. Um, what about you? Anything good?
1: A uh, bunch of stuff. <laughs> <Starting> just, uh, <laughs> as per usual, I, uh, I was actually up in San Francisco this past weekend. So got to, got to try out some some brews that I either hadn't had in a while since I lived there or uh, ones that I uh, I had not had of yet. Um, stopped over at fieldwork Brewing over in Berkeley um, and had a couple different interesting beers. had a uh, party cove, a tropical sour from them. It was, uh, wasn't like too tart. I feel like for th- those who don't like sours, uh, that might be a good like entryway. Um, had mm-hmm. a coconut milk uh, double IPA that was super interesting. Um, what else did I have from them? I had a couple of pale ales from them. And I also had went over to uh, the Rare Barrel uh, in the south part of Berkeley. Um, Rare Barrel is pretty cool. They uh, instead of like brewing their own beer, they take leftover wort from uh, from different breweries in the area, and then they barrel age the they barrel age that and then come out with some pretty awesome um, you know sour beers. Uh, so I had a couple from them tangerang. Tangarang. was a uh, kind of a citrusy uh, tropical sour forces unseen. And apropos of nothing, had a Happy Blending from them. It was a, a collaboration with uh, Wicked Weed um, over in North Carolina and those who have uh, listened to the podcast for a while probably know about them and Wicked Weed is uh, is down in Asheville but if you're in North Carolina, you can find their stuff um, at your local bottle shop. I wouldn't say grocery store, but um, your local bottle shop, maybe a couple, gro- maybe a couple better grocery stores here and there. Um, and yeah, that was really it. Didn't have like a. I had a bunch of other just like random like Anchor Steam and the other like typical San Francisco fair there. But uh, yeah, definitely had a, a few, a few decent brews. I was I was happy with the uh, with the selection while I was up there.
2: Do you feel like uh, East Coast West Coast? Like, what do you what do you feel like better selection? Um, like, if you're just going to like sports bars, or like if you're obviously, I mean, like you can go somewhere where you know you're going to get what you want. But like, if you go to like a random place, what do you feel like better selection is?
1: You know, I, I think I think New York City does a great job, and I know like it sometimes gets a bad rap in the craft beer world. I think New York City does a great job just having like decent stuff on it. Also, is one of the better distributed cities in the country just because it overlaps with a lot of different areas and for some west coast breweries if they're going to distribute somewhere they're going to distribute to new york um at the same time like i think it really just depends on the bar you go to like there's plenty of bars in, in san francisco and new york and la that you know you walk in and they pretty much like pbr is the best thing you're going to find on draft but, <laughs> But, but, but there's also plenty of places where, you know, they won't even have Bud Light on tap. So I, I, think, I think East and West Coast both have their, have their perks on that front. I think a lot of places are, are trending toward having a couple of good local taps on, which is great. Um, I'll give the credit to New York now, especially if it's, it's on a sports bar front. But I, I don't think that it's I don't think they're leading by, by a country mile by any means.
2: Yeah, that that's, it's funny you mentioned, uh, uh, PBR, like, wh- when you're younger and you can get your hands on some PBR, it's, like, it's the best thing in the world, and then when, when you're, when you're, like, of age and stuff, and you've got, you know, you can go into a store and get whatever you want, it's just crazy, that like, PBR is one of the last things you would ever want, it's just, it's just, it's crazy, it's kind of like Keystone when you're younger, too, like, you know, it's just, now you would just, you would never, ever drink it, but back in the day, it was like you had your hands on gold.
1: Yeah, I, uh. I bought myself quite a few keystones back in the day, and I I haven't touched the stuff since college, but...
2: (laughs) No, but at at the time, it's great, because it's, what, like, 18 for a 30 rack, 15 for a 30 rack, and, you know, I mean, it's basically like drinking water now, especially compared to probably the craft beers that you're drinking. There's absolutely... It's probably like grabbing, like, a a bottle of water and just drinking it.
1: Pretty much. (laughs) So it gets back to a little bit more basketball talk um, before we kind of wrap up for the day. Um, I know we mentioned all of these teams in the, uh, in the trending up section as, as teams that lost, but uh, Michigan state, Michigan and TCU. Um, Ben, I think two of those teams are still in Uh, Michigan State's spot is looking more and more tenuous, but I think that they're in Uh, Michigan, as we mentioned is probably in, but TCU, uh, I would say almost definitely out now, barring a, a Big Twelve tournament run.
2: Yeah, they've really fallen off, and it's it's crazy to think about. I think Jamie Dixon, when he got there, they, he was doing such a good job with them, and uh, they were winning games and non-conference. They were really off to a, a hot start, and all of a sudden it started to slip, and and they're way under five hundred, uh, I believe, in in conference, and uh, everything's just kind of gone downhill and. Uh, I I don't mind Jamie Dixon. I know a lot of Syracuse fans probably can't stand him, and, you know, rightfully so, but I mean, I don't, I I know that he's owned Syracuse, but he seems like an okay guy. Uh, I ran into him at the ACC tournament last year, and he's actually a lot taller than you would think. He's probably like 6'4", 6'5". He's a pretty big guy, and I didn't see that coming, but um, to get back onto a basketball note, they've lost six in a row, three against top. 12 teams and and now they play oklahoma to end their season 6 and 11 in the big 12 you said it earlier and i couldn't agree more with you when when you've got like a clemson like a 5 and 12 in your conference or something like that i to me that you just you don't deserve to get in at all and and right now tcu is 6 and 11 in the big 12 to me the big 12 isn't that good where you should where you, if you're a tournament team you're six and 11. That make that to me. That's not right. I get, you're going to lose games to West Virginia and to Baylor and to Kansas and, you know, maybe Texas tech because they were hot for a little bit, but you still have the, the teams like Oklahoma state who've been okay. Uh, you know, Texas is down, kansas state is on the bubble but oklahoma's down iowa state they're about five you know 500 they're on the bubble still above 529 but um still a lot of people are iffy if they're in or not i think they're in um but they've been up and down all year uh but now they've won six in a row so that really cemented them in but for the most of the season they were only a few games above 500 so it's just to me the big 12 isn't as good of a conference as, as obviously the ACC, where you can go, you know, seven and eleven right now, and and think that you're in. I just to me that's crazy. I don't think even in the in the, in the ACC, if you were seven and eleven, I don't think you're in. You have to be at least five hundred or closer.
1: Yeah, I, I think I, I, depending on the conference and all that, um, I think five hundred five hundred should be the bar unless you possess you know either some really really high quality wins in conference or some really high quality non-conference wins um, but yeah I, I think if you're below 500 in the ACC maybe you can you can make the case 8 and 10 depending on who those 8 wins are but right yeah if you're going to go 5 and 12 in conference or like TCU is right now 6 and 11 those are not um, those are not the type of wins are uh, not the type of win totals that that i think can be looked past um, by the tournament committee
2: yeah, Iowa State's a little bit better than I thought, though they're they're twenty and nine, twelve and five, um, but still a team that kind of struggled early uh, in in conference, and they would win two, and then they lose two, and then they win two, and then they lose two. But a six in a row was really cemented them to get in. And um, when Fred Hoiberg left, you you didn't really know where that program was going to go, but they've really picked up right where they left off. But um, I don't know, you know, the the bubble is just so interesting to me, and and we've talked about it, and it's just. Syracuse right now if you look at their non-conference best win over Monmouth who obviously had a really good year um, but do you want to go around saying that your best win was over Monmouth you know in your non-conference it's just whatever the theme is for the NCAA that's going to be the key on on what happens moving forward
1: Agreed, agreed um, so I was just looking at on Bracket Matrix the, uh, the kind of last few teams in Syracuse has kind of shifted down to that conversation now, which obviously unsettling. Um, but the last four at-large teams they have in uh, Vanderbilt, Illinois State, California, um, Syracuse. Uh, ben, which of those teams, if any, are you most concerned about?
2: Uh, so if Vanderbilt beat Kentucky the other night, I would say Vanderbilt, but you, you lose a 19-point lead on the road and you end up losing to a team that obviously is a top probably 10 team. I mean, Kentucky is very good very talented I would say Cal Cal has played a, a lot of teams tough this year. They only lost by four. I think to Virginia um, And they're gonna have a chance to, to really win some games uh, Moving forward in the Pac-12 tournament. They're gonna have a chance to you know, either knock off Oregon Arizona UCLA, I don't know if they necessarily will but with the opportunity in front of them Vanderbilt with the SEC I don't think they're going to have a chance to really make up any ground that they didn't really uh, ravish, or for lack of a better term in, in the regular season uh, they can't really make up for losses in the SEC tournament because it's such a weak conference but Cal can do that and, and they are a good team so I would probably say Cal uh, just from a sense of what they have ahead of them they can still you know, really raise some eyebrows and, and open some eyes and, and how talented they are and and like I said, they played Virginia tough earlier this year. They've got some good wins, um, and it seems like they're in every game, which is, uh, you know, always gives you a chance to win rather than Syracuse, who kind of it's either really close or they just get their ass kicked. You know, it's <laughs> it's really not nowhere in the middle. So,
1: yeah, I'd agree there. I think for me, I think Cal's probably the most dangerous team out of these. Uh, Illinois State, I think, has the most potential to create chaos, though. And, and potentially hurt Syracuse. I don't think Illinois State gets in over Syracuse on their own, but where they could create an issue is if Illinois State beats Wichita State in the Missouri Valley final. Um, if they're able to do that, Wichita State is currently on the 10 line and on bracket matrix, so that would likely put Illinois State— I mean, they would definitely put Illinois State in, but I think that Wichita State losing to Illinois State wouldn't necessarily knock them out by any means. I'd say you probably end up getting two from the Missouri Valley as a result. That shifts everybody else down a line, which would potentially knock one of Syracuse Cal or Vanderbilt off if, um, if all other things remain equal. Um, that's highly unfortunate for us. Uh, I think it's good for mid-majors, however. Um, it's definitely, uh, definitely a concern. I know Illinois State beat Wichita State um, at home earlier in the season. Wichita State... Um, beat Illinois State by about 40 in Wichita, um, so Illinois State could really use um, an additional win. They don't really have a ton of quality wins necessarily, um, but the Wichita State victory obviously standing out is their best. They've also got, I think, about 25 wins on the season at this point, so the Redbirds um, are, potentially, are a potential chaos agent, um, depending on who you ask um, in, in this late kind of bracket discussion.
2: Yeah, I think you said it best, sir. Let me ask you this. uh, What do you think the odds are that Syracuse ends up in a play-in game?
1: Um, I think they're pretty high right now. Uh, Then again, I thought they were pretty high last year. Um, But yeah, I I think the odds of a play-in game are are, are pretty high. Uh, I just joked on Twitter that that Syracuse and Cal are right next to each other, setting up Cal, trying to get right back in this again. Mm -hmm. Um,
2: It it was funny last year... um, on Selection Sunday, I was at the Mellow Center covering it, and uh, Matt Park walked by, and he was like, looks like we're going to be in Dayton for a playing game, huh, boys? Like, just kind of joking around, and then when Syracuse, because I guess that was what, I mean, even Matt Park, who's as close as you can get, he was walking by just, uh, you know, joking around about it, and then he comes back like an hour later once it's released that they're playing Dayton, but they got in, he's like, ah, I got to get Dayton, I was close enough, right? You know, like, so even people, you know, really as close as you can get, which is Matt Park to the program, um, you know they were unsure last year too, and I thought that was crazy. I mean, obviously they don't know, um, you know, ahead of us what they're going to do or where they're going to be. But to think that they have kind of the same mentality and how they're kind of looking at the bubble the same way we are, I thought was pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, I'd agree, and I think you know the the, the growth of bracketology as kind of a like cottage industry. I think everyone's been everyone starts doing bubble watches now by like mid January. Um I, I think it's it's changed everyone's thinking and I think that that's why the NCAA Tournament Committee is trying to change its own thinking. They don't want to be necessarily that predictable, but they also want to make sure that the, the field is indicative of of the best teams. I know when they were uh when they were meeting with um you know, Jeff Sagarin and Ken Pomeroy and a bunch of other people um in recent weeks, I know Pomeroy and, and Sagarin both said that like you know, th- their models are, are more predictive than, than indicative of, of two-date resume. Um, and, and like RPI can probably be tweaked to be better in terms of resume, but um, both of them kind of cautioned, despite them having very good metrics, um, they were more predictive and, uh, and less indicative of you know, who's best in the field. Um, I think that they, they just wanted to caution that the general public wouldn't necessarily, and I agree with this, wouldn't necessarily have the ability to parse through, you know what th- what that differentiation means, um, and they also wouldn't want that to sully what the tournament is um, by way of just inviting the teams that have the most potential to win versus the teams that actually put up the resume that in- indicates they should be there.
2: Would you so if, if if in a perfect world, would you rather see the tournament based on what you've done or what you're capable of?
1: I think I'd rather it, it's what you've done. Because um, really,
2: otherwise, why would you even play the regular season if exactly. it's what you're capable of
1: yeah I, I think the grading out potential is, is the type of stuff for for you know the nBA draft <laughs> and, and things yeah. like that like I, I don't think I don't think you should be graded i think it I think it could definitely be something that that factors in as like a last line of defense like if you have no other way to to, to parse through teams and you see one. You see, one played, you know, five top ten, five top ten teams close and went three and two, and the other played two and went zero and two. Like, that's that's something. But even even more than that, like, that's not even that's still not grading you on potential. It's still grading you on what you did. Um, right. I, I think I, I don't know how much, if any, um, potential has like potential has as a a factor in, in NCAA tournament seating.
2: Yeah, I would, I, like you said, I would leave potential to the NBA draft and, and just kind of see how that works out because it feels like a lot of the time it's pot- potential is such an overused word, I think, too, in a sense of so many different things. Because um, potential, you, can't, you, you don't know for sure. And so I would much rather have it be on what you've done and whether that helps or hurts Syracuse this year, I don't know. But just from a standpoint of if, if you're going to go off potential. Or what you think the the team is capable of, then why even play the regular season? And and if that was the case, Syracuse would be a a, a three seed or a four seed right now. <laughs> you know, if, if we're going to go off potential and and what they're capable of from the preseason. So I agree with you.
1: I would very much agree. Um, okay, so I think I think we've covered quite a bit on the uh, the ACC tournament seating uh, conversation and the bubble. I would. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with, with, with how much we've covered the topic. And, I mean, Ben, unless you have anything else to add, I think we're good for this week.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't think I have anything else. It was a good podcast.
1: Cool. Yeah, no, I had a great time. Uh, so thanks, everyone, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on Blog Talk, on iTunes, on possibly another service you may use uh, to listen to us. And uh, go Orange this weekend.
2: Go Orange.